Welcome to Simply Christian, a podcast diving deep into the essentials of the Christian faith, heresies, and everything in between. I'm Isaac. And I'm John. Good morning. Good morning, brother. Bright and early. We're getting started. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, we sure are. We sure are. Good morning to you listeners, too. I'm not sure what time it is where you are, but we are up early, and we do this for you, so we're so glad you guys are listening. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. So what are we talking about today, man? Yeah, we have a great subject today. It's a big subject um, and one that I'm excited to tackle with you, brother, um, and for you listeners. So who hasn't asked this question? The question is, why are there so many denominations? Seriously, why are there so many denominations? Some people even estimate and have accused uh, Christians and Protestants in particular of saying, you Protestants, you you Christians, there's 20 to 30,000 different denominations. Jesus prayed a prayer in John 17, 21, that said, I want, Father, I want them to be one, even as you and I are one, Father. That's how I want the church to be one, like we are. So we haven't really done a very good job, have we? Well, <laughs> Some that's what say. we're going to be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm so excited, but how, what do you think? What's a good outline? How are we going to tackle this big subject, bro? Yeah, yeah. So basically what we will be discussing in this episode is what is a denomination, when did denominations start developing? Why did denominations start developing? And what does Jesus think about these things, as far as we can tell in the scriptures and whatnot? So, yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Well, um, let's start with right off the bat. What is a denomination? How do we define this? Yeah. So, I would, if I had to give it a definition in one sentence, I would say a Denomination is an orthodox branch of the Christian church that has different beliefs, circumstances, or emphases that caused it to be divided institutionally from other groups in the Christian church, which that's a long yeah. <laughs> definition. So maybe we can break that down for a second. Yeah. Well, and maybe one word I would just that I would highlight real quick, and maybe you can speak into is you put orthodox. Like they're they're built on the same fundamental orthodoxy that we are, even if there's differences that'll cause a little bit of separation with us, yeah. we're still built on orthodoxy. So right. how, how would you unpack that, flesh that out? Yeah, yeah. So of course, like with anything, you got to define your terms because orthodox might mean lots of different things to lots mm-hmm. of different people. So I mean, first of all, obviously what I don't mean is uh, the the Greek Orthodox Church. I'm not saying that <laughs> you have to be Greek Orthodox. That's not yeah. what I mean. Um, but with Orthodoxy, um, it just means like on the first level issues that we talk about so much mm-hmm. in theological triage, um, there is unity in the Christian church there. Mm-hmm. And like all... Basically, in order to be considered orthodox, you have to hold these first level beliefs, yeah, whatever yeah. they are. And there's still room for the level at which you understand and believe those. Mm-hmm. But to the core, like you need to believe in the Trinity, you need to believe in the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross, um, salvation yeah. through faith in Him, mm-hmm. um, and other things mm-hmm. of that nature, um, authority of the scriptures and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah. right. And so, um, they're building in the same foundation. Yeah, same that, foundation that we are, and we're building on the same foundation as another brother and sister in these in-house debates. Um, yeah, we're, we're we're on the same route. Right. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good to clarify. Yeah, it's the same same foundation. It's just kind of like what we talked about last episode. Um, we're just sometimes people are just building on the same foundation, but they're building 
to buildings differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yep, and to yep. some degree. And choosing different another. paint colors, maybe for a room or whatever. Right. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Exactly. Well, and let me, so let me read that one more time, um, this definition that we've laid out. And then I want to ask you about church history because you're my go-to for church history. Um, so a definition that we put is an orthodox branch of the Christian church that has different beliefs, circumstances, or emphases that cause it to be divided institutionally from other groups in the Christian church. Feel right. free to rewind that if you guys are on the podcast, but that's the definition that we're running with. Um, and I believe that fits, and I think we'll maybe be able to even unpack it more yeah. as the, as we proceed. Um, I think so. But just tell me, like, uh, denominations historically, you know, when, when do they start really showing up? Yeah, sure. So it depends on kind of how, how you would view a, a division, first of all. So in the church, historically, there have always been differences of opinion and, and beliefs in, in the church mm-hmm. um, and practice that caused it to be divided. And unfortunately, um, what happened a lot in the early church, especially, is there was a serious lack of theological triage. Mm-hmm. And there was even um, some people were pronounced heretics for celebrating Easter on the wrong day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, we would view that as, like, very stupid <laughs> to argue about that. But I've, for some reason, you know, that was, like, super important to them. Even though Jesus never told us to celebrate his resurrection on a particular day of the year. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we do every Sunday. Yeah, yeah, we always <laughs> proclaim not, the Lord's death. The right, comes. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. But in fact, we should be doing that every day, not just every yeah, Sunday. Yeah. We should be thankful for his, his death and resurrection. And resurrection. But, yeah. but nonetheless, like something like that. So people were pronounced heretics and there were divisions. Mm-hmm. But in reality, though, like I don't think practicing Easter on one day, like Jesus is going to cast you out of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he's okay with that, <laughs> especially since it doesn't say in the scriptures the exact day in which he he died. It doesn't give us a calendar day. Mm-hmm. You can deduce it probably. Yep. Um, I don't know how to do that, but I'm sure someone does. Mm-hmm. But. Somebody has taken the time. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But yep. nonetheless, you know what I mean? So there's always been things like that in the church. And of course, there's been actual heresies too, which we wouldn't want to include that as a denomination. But as far as like the major things that you can look just generally over church history and see, there's two main events that you can see. Um, So the first one would be the division between the church in the West and the church in the East in the year 1054. Hmm. So this is where, um, so there was a divide between the church in the East and West all already starting around the time of Constantine, because Constantine moved the capital of the Roman Empire from Rome to Constantinople. Or it was, uh, I forget if what the name of the, the city was. He changed the name of it to Constantinople, whatever it was, yeah, because okay. Constantine. Yeah, yeah. Um, Namesake, yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm just leaving me whatever the name was. But that's okay. Nonetheless, that's yep. what he did. And... Um, there was some serious issues that proceeded um, from that happening. And as the church um, in the West started emphasizing Rome a lot more, um, and the church in the East emphasized Constantinople a lot more, there were just some political divisions that started happening Mm. um, due to issues with the empire politically anyways. Um, And some other issues too, like doctrinally, um, not anything... I would consider super major, but nonetheless, there were some divisions. And eventually that kind of came to a head in 1054 and caused the 
church in the east and west to divide and um, kind of develop into what we know now as the Roman Catholic Church, for the most part, and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's some caveats and whatnot with all that, but that's that's basically it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then as far as Protestants are concerned, what we look back to as the main time frame in which we see a lot of these different Protestant denominations is, of course, the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. And there were four major groups um, in that Protestant Reformation that kind of are like the the forefathers of all the other Protestant denominations to some degree or another. And that would be the Lutheran denomination, the Reformed, the Anglican, and the Anabaptist. Okay. Those would be the four major ones. And then pretty much every other Protestant group has been derived or combined from these different hmm. these different views. So for instance, I'm Baptist, you're Baptist probably with some caveats, but that's what we are mm-hmm. for the most yep. part. And yep. uh, um, Baptists are like an interesting blend between the Reformed and Anabaptist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can see, so you can just kind of like make these, <laughs> it's not quite neat and tidy. Of course, it's way more complicated than this, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. it's interesting to see a little bit of, you know, how that, how that all kind of came to be. Okay. Um, right. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's Lut- kind of like the history of it. Lutheran, Reformed. Anglican and Anabaptist, mm-hmm. all kind of branching out from the Reformation, right. Protestant Reformation, 1517, which right. we're 500 years deep in, 500 a little plus. Right. Um, okay, so that's the when did denominations start developing. How about why? What are some reasons that we have that these, why? <laughs> why are there denomination mm-hmm. splits? I don't know, man. You want to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have... Um, you know, various various um, reasons, and and for you listeners who've who've been tuning in, um, you know that we we kind of cover this. This is what we do in this. We recognize and we give us tools to acknowledge and to recognize when um, and how big of an issue it is. But nonetheless, we have we we sit in the reality that the church has differences, and how do we navigate that? And so we might have some big reasons. Um, differences on level two issues, which can separate, kind of cause us to be like, I believe you're a brother or believe you're a sister, but it's going to be really difficult for me to have fellowship with you. You're building on the same foundation as I am. You're rooted in Christ. You're not going elsewhere to build a whole new separate house and a new foundation, but you're built on the same foundation that I am. But something about your belief or something about your practice is going to make it really difficult for us to worship together on a regular basis. Some things that we've thrown out and already covered and maybe hope to cover in the future, you know, uh, should women preach, you know, and if, if you hold to what I believe um, and what we confess is the true biblical teaching that eldership is reserved for men, men are called to lead in the home and in the church, and then you're an egalitarian and you believe otherwise, you're going to have a difficult time worshiping with me at my at, at the church that I'm a part of if you're thinking, why why don't they let women preach and be elders? And I, I vice versa, would, would struggle with that with the church where they're allowing women to preach. Um, baptism, you know, uh, things like that. And then you get these like little divides that doesn't necessarily mean the person is outside of the faith, but it definitely is going to cause some struggles. Um, and as we're going to unpack kind of more of what this means, that's one example of a big reason Going up even further, we have a level, we started with level two, but then we have level one issues, which 
we determine right away and we call a person out and say, you are not in the same household as I am. Your household that you're building is on a completely different foundation. I'm built on the foundation of Christ. We stand on the apostolic teaching of his word, but you're going and building your own house somewhere else with a whole different foundation. You're not even in my household. And so this is first level, like level one issues where we, you know, say we bring out the level one sword and this is a flaming sword that the Bible teaches us to use where we make strong cuts and we have in-house debates where we battle and sometimes it gets sharp, sometimes it gets heated, but we're not pulling out a level one sword and chopping them up and saying they're outside of the faith. And so when it comes to things like, you know, the resurrection, Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead or Jesus Christ isn't the son of God. Um, Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh. Uh, we're not sinners. Uh, we don't we are not in any need of salvation. Denying these core principles of the faith that the Bible teaches um, this is going to cause us to recognize Look, you're 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 elsewhere, and we're not going to have fellowship with you on any level, any stretch. I'll be kind to you, maybe treat you, you know, well, maybe say hello to you or whatever. But our our relationship is not one of bonded in the bonds of peace that mm. I'm going to have with a brother or sister in the faith. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's just important to also note, like when we talk about first level issues being a reason why denominations start developing mm-hmm. or whatnot, like. Um, the reason we brought that up is, again, because we just defined it being an orthodox, an orthodox branch of Christianity as um, being what a denomination is. Um, so it almost seems contradictory for us to bring up first-level issues as being mm-hmm. a reason for denominations. But in reality, it's we're bringing that up for, on a practical level because you look at like the Presbyterian Church, for example. Um, the Presbyterian Church, from the Reformed tradition... Um, is broken up into multiple different branches, practically speaking. Um, and I would consider them a different denomination because of the first-level issues. So like the Presbyterian Church USA mm. is very liberal theologically, mm-hmm. um, very liberal. Like they deny what the Scripture says about um, God's wrath against sin. Mm-hmm. They deny um, human sexuality, like the, the God's standards for human sexuality, which are abundantly clear in the Bible, mm-hmm. and other things like that. And of course, you have to have a low view of Scripture yep. in order for that to play out. Um, whereas the Presbyterian Church of America or the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, um, those are a lot more conservative, and um, they are Orthodox. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> you know? yes, yes. So like, so like when we're looking at all these denominations, even within a denomination we would typically consider orthodox, there can be a branch that is poisonous and Mm -hmm. and withered and not good. And we might even say, and and I think I would, and maybe you would too, I would, in a real sense, not even call certain groups denominations. I would say you're not a denomination. You have tried to build elsewhere and you've started what you're calling your own denomination. And now there's this whole group that starts with you. Um, but we recognize that just because they're building a house somewhere doesn't mean they're necessarily a denomination. Right. Because they're not even in the same currency <laughs> that, right. we're, that we're using. Yep. They're trying to use a whole different form of currency. And so if we use the money analogy, you know, we have various denominations of USA currency. But somebody else comes in with a foreign bill, we're going to be like, well, that, that's no good here. But they're representing it as though it is good. And they're saying, right. this is just another denomination. 
we're right. just like you, but we're and and we have but to recognize. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I'm of the persuasion that I might even say I'm not even going to call them a denomination. Yeah, because they're having different currency, different form of interaction that we're not going to acknowledge. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And so a then counterfeit bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, know? yep. And to kind of flip it around on a more lighter note, there's the little reasons why there's different denominations, mm-hmm. which is petty. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but um, so just to throw out a couple of those, there's like, um, the, well, the first thing I think of is just the historical conflicts that cause different denominations mm-hmm. um, or different splits within a denomination. So, for example, when when it comes to Baptists, the denomination we would subscribe to for the most part, um, during the Civil War, there was a division in Baptists because of the division of the North and the South. Mm. And that's kind of where the Southern Baptist Convention came from. Mm. As a whole, they were on the side of the South, as you would imagine, um, yep. as the name implies. <laughs> and then there was the there's the Northern Baptists and then the American Baptists. There's all these other groups. I'm not sure exactly when they all started, but um, nonetheless, there's like historical conflicts that caused divisions in the body of Christ. And that's actually been the case throughout history as well, mm-hmm. um, like the division in the East and the West that we already talked about and other things of that nature. Um, the um, Episcopal Church of America, um, they're basically Anglicans, but that they kind of got separated um, because of the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812. It naturally caused some, some divisions there. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they're a little bit more united now. Um, but nonetheless, it caused some division. So those are like historical conflicts, and they mm-hmm. they make sense. But the problem I think that arises is people exalt the kingdom, man's kingdom, over God's kingdom. And mm-hmm. in reality, political differences. Um, as long as we have the same confession of faith, like on those core things, um, they should not divide the body of Christ. And what a shame that the kingdom of man would divide the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That right. is, yes. I think that's just really sad mm-hmm. that, that, that that happens. Um, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, that's, that's part of the reason. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and so we get these little, little reasons um, that um, will cause us to have a little bit of divide in how we do things. Um, but again, to emphasize and to reemphasize this, these, these groups, these people who we have differences with, Jesus does call us to that unity and he wants us to be one, even as he and the father are one. And so as we are, um, navigating these things, as we mentioned in the last episode, unity, um, that transcends earthly differences is a huge underpinning to, I believe what Jesus talks about when he says, I want them to be one as we are one, because I can look at somebody who loves hunting, you know, and my wife's vegan, you know, and, and be like, <clears throat> I got an issue with that. I don't, I don't know. I want people to like be kind to animals and I don't really, I, I eat healthy and all of this stuff, but my wife will never look at that person and be like, you're outside of the faith. We're going to, the gospel is what's going to unite us and draw us together. And hopefully this person might have a few, just a couple of jabs at my wife. Oh, you're a vegan, a little joke. But at the end of the day, sister, God bless you. You worship the same Jesus Christ right. as I do. Right. You know, these little things, but uh, but that unity 
transcends these earthly differences, which I think is such a powerful thing. And and like Jesus says, that's how the world is going to know that Jesus Christ was sent into the world, and this is going to be such a stark thing for the world to to grasp. So yeah, man. it is good to clarify at this point um, that number that gets thrown around a whole lot, 30,000. Um, mm-hmm. If you ever listen to specifically Catholic and Protestant debates, Catholics will make the claim and say, um, you know, especially a lot of Catholic apologists, you know, look what happens under, uh, you know, Luther and you remove the papacy and you remove the magisterium. And now what you're left with is just any old Joe Schmo goes and starts a church and it's not rooted in anything historical, um, which there's some truth to. We would look at some and be like, what are you doing? You, you're not grounded in the word. Why, why are you starting a church? You're building a whole house on a whole separate foundation way over there using different currency. Um, your denomination isn't a denomination, but the number gets thrown around a lot, twenty to 30,000 denominations. And what we are acknowledging here is that there are different denominations. No doubt we cannot even refute that, we look around and see that. And so we're not dismissing that. Sure. But what this does not mean, though, is that we're, we're not saying that there are 30,000 different Christianities. There's one Christianity, and there's only one true apostolic faith that has been handed down to us by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and His Holy Spirit guides us in truth. And so there is only one Christianity. There's not 30,000 different Christianities. Um, and so anyone attempting to build another one like we said is a level one heretic but instead if the twenty thousand number is accurate let's just assume it is i don't think that number is accurate i think many heretics and false christianity groups uh, using different currency are included in this when people look at statistics but let's just assume there are twenty thousand various denominations who have built what they have done is they have built upon the one true christian faith and they have just maybe understood some things differently. And this is a you know in-house debate within Christians. They're built on the same foundation, but maybe they're saying this room should be you know uh, <laughs> have some different scaffolding in it, or some different picture frames, or you know a different paint color. But at the end of the day, they're they're built on the same foundation. And while we might disagree with them strongly in heaven, I think I'm going to look at some of my Pado Baptist brothers and sisters and be like. I told you, I was trying to convince you, see, listen to Jesus, he's on my, like, (laughs) you know, and I'm sure that they'll do some things with me, and and I'll be like, ah, man, okay, I should have listened, I was, you know, but they're built on the same house, and so we're not arguing for twenty to 30,000 different Christianities, we're talking about denominations within the one, and how to recognize and spot when there are people building elsewhere on a different foundation. Um, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so it brings up this question, um, and I'll throw it out. Uh, Ideally, let's just be idealists for a second. Would Jesus's ideal for his bride be that there is only one denomination, just one denomination? You know, you have Philippians 2.2, I urge you all to be of the same mind. Um, We see this repeated a lot, especially in Paul's writings, but just like, be of one accord, one mind, and this reflects kind of Jesus's prayer as well, that they're one even as Jesus and the Father are one. So how do we deal with this? Is that the ideal? Well, that's definitely a tricky question. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I would say, of course, Jesus wants all of his people to be unified. Um, and when it comes to of course, like Christ is eternal. So like big picture, 
his church is unified because we're already seated with him in heavenly places in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the age, I mean, he sees that all of his people throughout all of time just together, unified in the new heavens and new earth uh, with him. Mm-hmm. So like the church spiritually is unified um, and then ultimately will be not just spiritually, but physically unified as well and unified in all the ways that need to be unified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. But as of right now, like it's it's tough because I would say Jesus does want unity, but I don't think that means uniformity in the way we see everything or institutional unity versus more of an organic type of relational unity. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we can parse that out a little bit, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, there are a couple of scriptures that come to my mind. Um, uh, three, actually, but maybe we just look at two. But John chapter 16, um, and when you start in verse 12, Jesus says to them... Um, in this huge context of chapter 14, 15, and 16, after Judas leaves, and you have Jesus just beautiful. If you have a red-letter Bible, it's just flooded with red. Um, but he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And I love that just gentleness. He's like, I know that you're imperfect. You're fallible. You make mistakes. I'm telling you things, but I can't tell you everything because you're finite creatures. And if I were to reveal everything to you, just your heads are going to explode. You can't. And so Jesus just nurtures us and carries us along just like a, a good shepherd and leads us along the paths of righteousness. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. And so I love that, the word guide, especially there. He will guide you into all truth. And so I don't think this is a automatic upload or download of all truth, full-on information. It says he'll guide you into all truth. And so there's this growth period that happens as we Christians, we're, we're still fallible. We'll still make mistakes. Um, and you see this in Ephesians 4 as well, where there's just like this, until you grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness, uh, no longer tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. But there's this growth period as we're sitting under apostolic teaching, you know, apostles, teacher, uh, pastors, teachers, evangelists, all we're learning from the word and we're studying. It leaves a little bit of room for us to grow. Um, another one, too, I would just look at is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which this is interesting. Um, Paul says this. He says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. So he's talking about divisions here. And he says, For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. And so Paul's like saying, almost like this is a must so that those who are approved can become evident and truth can be parsed out from lies and, and deception. And so there's this like working period where the church can interact and actually sit down and sit under the word of God together. And ideally, the truth is going to be manifested to the top. But sometimes it just leads to a little bit of a split and we say, all right, we're going in a different direction. So maybe perhaps the the way we could answer this question ultimately, ultimately is we could say, that the ideal answer 
ultimately, objectively, is maybe yes in some senses of the word, mm. but God in his infinite wisdom and mercy and grace for us imperfect, fallible sinners who get things wrong all the time, we still confess that he not only allows his church to have differences, but also he even sovereignly uses this for his glory. Amen, dude. And so different denominations come up, and it actually, God works it out for good because maybe somebody is going to sit under a church that I wouldn't maybe go to myself, but they're going to actually be drawn closer to Christ through that denomination than they would by sitting next to me in the congregation that I'm a part of or a church that I would attend. And praise God how he uses it. And I might still say, like, look, you were wrong. And But at the end of the day, I'm like, praise God that you use all things for your glory. Your wisdom is beyond yeah. comprehension, you know? Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah. So before we wrap up, what do we think about denominations? What do we think about it? Because that's what well, Jesus thinks, of course, that's like the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, yep. But what, what do you think about denominations? Yeah, I mean, I, at the end of the day... Um, I believe, and I, I, part of me really likes the flavor of variety, you know, and I don't want to just say that in an unorthodox way where it's like, yeah, you know, a little bit of lie, a little deception, a little error makes things kind of more flavorful. But if this is God's plan, and if this, if God is using this in a way that glorifies himself, that I have brothers and sisters and African jungles who whose church service looks way different than mine, but they believe the same thing, but maybe they have tons of testimony and prophesy times and you know their worship is so extended they have twenty eight songs instead of our strict three at the front end and then two in the back end like they just and, and it goes five six hours and I'm like all right i I couldn't do that. You know, you guys are banging the drums and it's a little bit like more energetic, but I'm more like New England reserved Christianity, you know, and they're like hooting and hot, like, and I might be like, all right, you know, I'm not, I'm going to go to this church and not yours, but I'm so great, grateful that there is this flavor that kind of comes across in this non-strict, non-rigid, imagine if there was only one type, not only church doctrinally, but also in style and in all ways. You know, praise God that he kind has of, that. Kind of boring a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I and, and I still say that like in some ways where I want to hold to the truth of God and not just be like willing to compromise. Right. But at the same time, if God is using, you know, my Pado Baptist brothers and sisters, you know, R.C. Sproul, God bless, God rest his soul, and like just all of these well, God rest his soul, we'll talk about soul sleep another time. <laughs> but you know what I mean by that, like that um praise God for it. You know, and I'm I'm thankful and I can I can enjoy it. Yeah. 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 How about you? Yeah. Okay. So so I would say I think it is the best approach to Christianity that the church has come up with so far. Mm. Here's what okay. I mean. All right. So what is an alternative to denominational Christianity? It would be you just go back in time to look at the Christian Empire, Christendom, where the there is one institutional church and they didn't allow for variations on many different views. You all had to believe the same thing because the institution made you do that. Mm. The problem is it is so important for human beings to follow their, their conscience, mm. not their emotions, 
but their conscience, what they're morally convicted of. And if you are convicted through reading the scriptures that something uh, is is wrong, um, and the church you're a part of says it's right, and it's a but it's a you know significant thing, and your conscience like is telling you no, this is a significant thing, mm. then you need to follow your conscience. Mm-hmm. You need to do that, mm-hmm. like because otherwise you're not being honest with what you really believe. Yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and whatever's not of faith is sin, and that's exactly what he's talking about in that context. And I think it's in Romans because mm. um, mm-hmm. he's talking about following your conscience. Mm-hmm. Like if you think meat sacrifice to idols is wrong, mm-hmm. but you eat it anyways, yeah. you're violating your conscience. Right. Even though it's not actually wrong, mm-hmm. but you think it is, and you but you're going through with it anyways. Mm-hmm. That's sin. Mm-hmm. So the so without denominational Christianity where we kind of let people um we don't try to control what other people believe, we just let them do that. Mm. Um like, I think that's the best approach. I mean, uh, well, the be- the best ideal option would be that that you know that the Holy Spirit would just make us all understand perfectly every mm-hmm. aspect of the Bible and prevent us from disagreeing. But obviously, mm-hmm. He's not done that, and that's mm-hmm. not His goal. Yeah, right. um, not yet, anyways. Maybe at, at the mm-hmm. last days it will be, but well, the uh, end of the age, mm-hmm. when Jesus returns. Yeah. But so I th- I think <laughs> it's the best approach with. Um, with allowing for differences because it allows people to follow their consciences and therefore um, honor God in some way like that. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. I love it. Yes. Well, how about I take the outro this time? You always do do it. it. Yeah. Well, (laughs) so that is all for today's episode. Consider subscribing for more Simply Christian content. And until next time.